Welcome everyone to Kingdom Rock Radio. We pray that you will enjoy today's message. Now here's a sample of what you'll be hearing today. When you get to the point when you can continue to praise God for for what you what you have and you're able to help others get what they need even though you don't have what you need, but you help them to get what they need. She didn't have the son but she had food in a home. And she saw these men, she saw a hole, a vacancy in their lives. And she could easily have said, I don't have what I want, but I can help you get what you want. Kingdom Rock Radio is an outreach ministry of Kingdom Rock Family Worship Center, located right here in Bremen, Georgia. You can connect with us at our website at www.kingdomrock.org. And now, here is today's message. Welcome to our Sunday morning services here at Kingdom Rock Family Worship Center. I know the Lord has a rich and relevant word that will change and inspire your life. Thank you so much for joining us. And I want to also give you guys the opportunity to sow a gift into the ministry here. A little bit goes a long way. We believe in the Lord for 500 people to sow a seed of or to give a gift of $100 or more into our media program. And that's going to help us to uh, reach people all around the world with a good news of Jesus Christ. We've got so many, uh, so many wonderful speakers, so many anointed speakers that are already on the platform, and so many more are coming. And uh, it's just a blessing to people. So I want to invite you to be part of that. To do so, just go to our website at kingdomrock.org. That's kingdomrock.org. Click on the Give button, and you can become a part of this community. Thank you guys so very much. All right, this morning we're going to go into the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings, the fourth chapter, 2 Kings 4. And I'm going to read to you verses 8 through 17. 2 Kings 4, verses 8 through 17. <clears throat> this is a very familiar text of Scripture. Now, because it can be seen as familiar to a lot of church people, uh, we have a tendency to go into what I want to say, uh, ditches or whatever. We, we have our preconceived faults or notions of how this is going to go. But let me just tell you, just let him go for right now, and let's just follow the Spirit, okay? Because there's so much here that God wants you to know, that he wants you to receive. This is phenomenal. So the, the entire uh, case of Scripture is mind-blowing. And I want you to see, uh, what the, see what the Lord is going to do in your life and uh, what he's also doing, um, what he's demonstrating, should I say, through the life of this Shunammite woman and through Elisha, because this speaks about what he's doing in your life right now at this moment and what he will be doing also in these last days. So let me go ahead and try to read this here. Second uh, Kings, the uh, fourth chapter, verses eight through 17. Now, if you want to go home and you can read the entire, uh, the entire case, it goes all the way down uh, to verse number 44. I guess if you want to read the entire chapter, you can do that. But I'm going to read today verses eight through 17. And it reads like this. I'll be reading this to you out of the King James Version. And it says this, And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. 
And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. Let us make a small chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let him, rather, and let us, uh, let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. Verse 12, and he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, uh, she stood before him. And he said unto him, now notice now, he's not talking to her, he's talking to his servant, and Gehazi is going to speak to the woman. Notice this. And then it goes on here, verse 12 again, it says, and he said to Gehazi, his servant, call uh, call the Shunammite. And when he called her, uh, she stood before him. And he said unto him, say now unto her, behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. What is to be done for thee? Uh, wouldest thou be spoken for uh, to the king or uh, to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among uh, mine own people. And he said, what then is to be done for thee, or be done for her? And Gehazi answered, verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, call her. And when he called her, when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, about this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son, and she said, Nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaiden, unto thy, unto thy handmaid. And the woman conceived and bare a son at that season that Elisha uh, had, had, uh, had said unto her, according to the time of life. And if you know this account, it goes on a whole lot further than that. But we're going to really be looking at this portion of the scripture right here. And we're going to see if we can get through a couple of verses here today and pick it up next time, should the Lord be willing. Let's go back now to verse number eight at the very beginning of this, verse number eight. Now, we see <clears throat> that Elisha is the prophet. Elisha is the prophet. And we know that Elisha was trained under Elijah, right? Elisha was the one that asked the Lord for a double portion a double portion of miracles, double portion of the blessings. When Elijah was taken up, he said, you, you, he told, um, he, Elijah told Elisha, you've asked for a hard thing, but if you see me when I go up, then you can have it. So on Elijah's taken up, the mantle fell, and now Elisha carries the mantle of Elijah. He's carrying the glory of God. He's carrying the presence of God. And really, the Spirit of God is upon him. He's wearing the Spirit of God. So the man of God here represents the presence of God. He represents the Word of God. He represents the Spirit of God. I want you to really get that. The man of God here represents, 
The presence of God, he represents the spirit of God. He represents the word of God. The presence of God, the spirit of God, and the word of God. So Elisha is carrying this presence with him. And the Bible says that here that he's obviously passing through Shunem in verse number 8. Now, he and Gehazi are taking their journey back and forth through this town. Now, I want you to really notice this. And it says here in verse number 8, And it fell on the day that Elisha uh, passed to Shunem, where there was a great woman. The great woman there means a noble woman, a woman of wealth and stature. All right? She was there in the town. Notice what she did. And she constrained him to eat bread. Now, she constrained him to eat bread, which means she would not take no for an answer. She saw him and Gehazi walk past her house, possibly, and said, hey, come, come to my house. Now, there were, I know a lot of people think that there was McDonald's back in Bible times and Burger Kings and, and uh, all these other type of places. I know they think that, but that actually was not the case. When you went there, you didn't, unless you brought something with you, there may be something in the marketplace, people, you know, having other little foods or stuff, something. But they would go through these places here, right? And the woman knew that uh, this was a man of God, probably because of the way he was dressed, because of the way the prophet was dressed, right? He and his servant, he had a staff, and they would, they would walk along. Now, <clears throat> this Shunammite woman was an Israelite. Now, her and her husband were of the, again, they were of the tribe of Israel. So they knew what prophets were. They knew what men of God were. And she saw them going back and forth. And the Bible says that she constrained him. She said, please come to my house. She urged him over and over and over again. Now, to constrain means that he had to at least say no one time. But she wouldn't take no for an answer. She was pursuing the presence of God. She was pursuing the spirit of God. And she must have had that spirit in her home. She was saying, come to my house. You with me? Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Oh, praise Jesus. Let me get a drink. Oh, that's good. <clears throat> she was pursuing the presence of God. That's better, isn't it? She was pursuing the presence of God. Notice this. The man of God represented the presence of God, represented the spirit of God, represented the word of God. She saw him walking by and said, you must come to my house. You must come. And she would not take no for an answer. She sought. Now, on that is the basis of this entire account of how she almost violently sought to get him into her house. Notice it says here in verse number eight again. And it fell on the day that, e, that Elisha uh, passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And look at the very next part of that. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, 
he turned in thither to eat bread. From that one encounter, every time he came to town, he went to her house. Now, this tells me as well that he would go in and out of town without stopping, or he wouldn't stop there until she pulled him off of his route. She trained, she, she changed his trajectory. She became a stop on his itinerary. She pulled him there, which has the same flavor and meaning of what the Lord Jesus did there uh, at, at the well with the, uh, with, at the woman at the well, right? He told his disciples, we must needs go by Samaria. I got to go over here. There's someone that is pulling me this way. Now, this woman is being set up of the Holy Ghost because God knew this woman and he knew what he wanted to do in her life. Now, most rabbinical scholars will tell you that her child actually grew up to be the prophet Habakkuk, the one that said, write the vision and make it plain. Her child grew up to be a great prophet. And that's what the rabbis say in the rabbinical teachings. So she was actually another woman that was suffering for what she was carrying. So up until this point, of course, she did not have a child. Now I want you to notice something. She was a rich woman. She had a lot of wealth. She had plenty of family but she had no child. And again, back in Bible times, when a woman was thought to be childless, she was thought to be cursed. So here you are, you have all the money, you have all this and that and the other, but still when you went through town, they said, oh, there's that lady. She's noble, but she's cursed of God. She doesn't have a child. She's cursed. She's cursed. And so the Lord is using this. And now again, she was not, childless because of who she was, it was because of who she was going to carry. Now go with me just a little bit further with this. Now, she constrained him. In other words, she would not let them go except they came in, which is the same also almost identical thing that Jacob had with the angel as he wrestled with him all night long. In Genesis, the 32nd chapter, remember, in Genesis 32, verse number 26, the, the, the angel here, well, Jacob says here, he says, uh, let me go. The angel says, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except you bless me. Yeah. It's the pursuit of God's presence. It's the pursuit of God's presence. She recognizes that this man is carrying something. And she pulls that into her home. There was an anointing that was walking by that she pulled in her home. So often today, so often today, we can disrespect or not even realize what's in front of us. Not realize what's in front of us or who's in front of us. We can discount each other. But she realized who and what this was. And she pulled him off of his itinerary. 
And so now he became a fixture in her home. So, but the question is really, why did she pursue God so much? Some scholars would, some scholars would say, well, she pursued God so much because she didn't have a child. Maybe she was saying, I want him in my house. I want the presence of the Lord in my house so that eventually I can have a child. But that really doesn't float very well uh, because she buried that desire. Remember when the man of God says, by this time of year, you're going to have a son? She said, no, no, man of God, don't lie to me. In other words, I've been down this road before and it hasn't happened. I've had, she possibly had other preachers to say some things to her some other um, false prophets. Instead of prophesying, they prophesied. So she said, I don't want to go down this road again. I've been disappointed. I've heard it all. In other words, choose your words with me very carefully. That talks also about the responsibility of the prophet, responsibility of the man and woman of God. Realize who you carry and who's with you. Choose your words. Don't, don't lie to me. And then further in the text, we'll understand as well, when the child died, she runs to Elijah, Elisha, and she falls at his feet, and she says, did I ask a son of thee? Did I ask this of you? Why did she say that? Because she had buried that desire. She had buried that dream. She had come to terms with it. I'll never have this. Put this away. Now, that's very important for us to understand because it's so easy for us to be to for us to bury our desires under uh, or should I say in the graveyard of disappointments. And we'll say it's for everybody else, but it's not for me. It's so easy to put it away. But it's a God desire that still burns on the inside of us. And so we ask the question again, why is she pursuing God so much? Is it because she was hoping to have a son? No, I don't believe that was it. I believe she was pursuing God out of a heart of worship and gratitude for what she had. Notice what she did. When she said to them, I want you guys to come to my house to get something to eat. She was also honoring God. As she honored the men of God or the man of God, in this case, I want to say Elisha. As she honored him, she was honoring God. She was well with everything in her house. She had a, a, probably a great husband. She had lots of money. She was well taken care of. She just didn't have this other thing that she wanted. But she was willing to praise God for what she had already. And she was not going to allow herself to be defrauded. Hold on a second. My goodness. Thank you, Lord. Thank God for the water. Y'all stay with me? Now, I want you to notice something here. We're going we're gonna to really get to this. <laughs> if we get to nothing else today. She pursued God out of a heart of gratitude. 
giving back to him. When you get to the point when you can continue to praise God for, for what, you, what you have and you're able to help others get what they need, even though you don't have what you need, but you help them to get what they need. She didn't have the son, but she had food in a home. And she saw these men, she saw a hole, a vacancy in their lives. And she could easily have said, I don't have what I want, but I can help you get what you want. And how she was willing to, in essence, worship God and, and praise him from where she was. And so that's very easy for us to, uh, to forget because we so focus on what we don't have that, we don't, that we're not willing to invest. Every meal that she prepared for them was an investment. Every time they came in, they had to eat. Somebody had to buy the food. Somebody had to prepare that. Every time she invested in them, she was worshiping God. She was worshiping God. She was honoring God. She was honoring him. Out of her lack, she worshiped him and honored him. And again, it's very easy to say, I may not have what I want, but I can help you get what you want. I can supply your needs. So when her worship continued, the blessings would soon follow. Look with me, and I love what Job said in Job, the 13th chapter. Let's look at that for a second. Job 13. Are you ready? Job 13, verse 15 says this. I love this very first part. It says, though he slay me, Yet will I trust in him. Though he slay me, I don't have what I want. I don't have this thing that I desire deeply, but I will still trust him. That's the heart of a worshiper. That's the heart of a worshiper. Sometimes people can only worship and praise God when they get what they want. But when you have a heart of a true worshiper, you'll find that blessings will soon follow. Blessings follows worship. Look at Psalm. Look at Psalm 67. Look at this one too. Psalm 67 Verses 5 through 7. Psalm 67, verse 5 through 7. It says this. Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. Then, say then. Then shall the earth yield her increase. And God, even our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. And all the ends of the earth shall fear him. The blessings of God upon your life will cause the world to fear God. Not, not fear as in some horror movie type of fear, but as an honor. When you are blessed of God, people look at you and they honor. Wow, you're God. You, what God do you serve? They respect, they revere him. 
when the blessings of the Lord are upon your life. But listen, this praise and this worship has to come from a heart that doesn't have everything it wants. She continued to give to God even though her deepest desire was hidden in the graveyard of disappointment. I may not have what I want, but I will help you get what you want. She kept making investments into them. Look at verse number nine. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passes by us continually. So they've been coming to her house for a little while now, right? Bob says as often as they would come through the town, they would come in and eat. I'm not sure what she had on the table. Maybe she had some fried turkey. I don't know. Maybe some collard greens, maybe some yams. I don't know what they had. But as often as they came in, they came and they ate and they left. They came, they visited. Right? They visited. The presence of God visited their house. Look at number nine again. It says, and she said to her husband, behold now. Behold now. Behold what? Now. now. Which means after a time of observation, I've noticed something. She says, behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God. Holy man of God. It was not a question that he was a man of God, he was a preacher, but what type of preacher was he? This is the one that's going to be after the money, after the fame, after the fortune, after the filthy, filthy lucre. You want popularity, you want followers. After a time of observation, we find out what you are. She said, behold now, I perceive, I've been looking at him. I've been looking at him, I've been studying him. I see he is a holy man of God, consecrated unto the Lord. And after she sees it, look, she says, um, again, verse 9, <clears throat> and she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passes by us continually. Verse 10, let us make a little chamber. She says, let's make a room. In other words, she's about to make a larger investment. Let me give you a bit of advice. Before people make an, a large investment into your life or your ministry, they're going to always examine you first. She examined them for quite a while. Behold, now I see that this is a holy man. This is a, this is a real. This man is real. This, this person is real. They're real. And now she's going back, and now it's changing. It's changing from him visiting, from the presence of God visiting to the presence of God remaining. Now I'm going to make a room. I'm going to make a space for him. Now, there's also, it's also very important too that 
even coming from a security background. Before I make a room for you in my house, I got to know who you are. Because you can't get some folk out of your house easily these days. Once they move in, it may be hard to get them out. Online community just mean you talking right now. She says, I got to know who you are. Before she even brought that question up to her husband, I have to know who they are first. She examined them. And then says in verse number 10, let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on on the wall. In other words, an upper room. And let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh uh, to us that he shall turn in thither. He'll be able to come in and, and rest. Let me give you another, another thing here. I mean, right, this is just so powerful. It just keeps going and going and going. Notice how the Bible says that she says, let us make a little chamber, which means husband and wife were united, were one. Let's do it. She didn't override her husband. She said, let's do this together. Baby, I see this now. And I'm noticing also how the husband also, how he perceived his wife. Hold on a second again. Oh, that's some good water. I'm noticing how the husband valued his wife's opinion. He did, the Bible does not say that the husband said, hey, baby, this is a man of God. No, the wife said, I perceive it. The wife said, I perceive. And the husband, knowing his wife's integrity, went along with her. Okay, baby, sounds good to me. She said, let us do it. All right, let's go ahead and do this. And they were in agreement to bring the presence of the Lord inside of their home. And so they made him a little room on the top of their home there, a place for him to rest, a little bed, a table, a chair, and a candle, somewhere for him to write and to read and to commune with the Lord. Now, I want you to notice something here, and we don't want to go too far today. Won't you notice something? It's impossible for you to examine God without God examining you. As she perceived that this was a man of God, it is the Holy Spirit that's also been examining her the entire time. The entire time. Because it was God that allowed him to go by that way in the first place. It was God that allowed him to eat there in the first place, and it's God that allows him to rest in that place. The Spirit of God has been examining her, examining her, her husband, examining their entire family. Now, let me show you this rule here. Let's go to uh, Luke, the 10th chapter. I want you to really get this. The Spirit of God was examining that Could he find a place of rest in her house? 
Look at the rule here in Luke, the 10th chapter, Luke 10, verses 5 and 6. And it says this, Luke 10, verse 5 and 6 says this. And into the, as the Lord Jesus sent the disciples out two by two, here we go. It says, and into uh, whatsoever house ye enter, first say, boys, when you go out and you're ministering, when you go into somebody's house, this is what you say. He says what? Peace be unto this house. Say it again. That's what Jesus told him to say. When you go into somebody's house, say, peace be unto this house. And what happens in verse 6? And if the son of peace be there, your peace shall what? Rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. He says, when you walk into a house, declare peace be unto this house. And if a servant of peace is there, if the atmosphere is worthy, the peace will remain. If it is not, that peace will come right back to you. Now, that's the rule. If a place of peace is found, it can rest. If a place of peace is not found, it will return. This should sound familiar to you because you'll also find this in the book of Genesis, the eighth chapter, as Noah and the ark were reaching its conclusion, as the waters were receding, Noah would send forth a raven first, then he sent out a dove. A dove is the international symbol of peace. As the dove goes out, and if it finds rest, if it finds rest, then it would rest in the place. But Noah, Noah had to send the dove out, I think, two or three times because it couldn't find rest those other times, but on the last time, it did find rest. So the dove represents peace. So Noah opened up the ark, dove flew out, he released his peace. He released the dove, released his peace. And when the dove found a place of rest, it remained. If it did not, it would come back. Same thing here. The Lord said, if your peace goes out and if it finds a place of rest, then well, if not, let it return to you. The dove is a symbol of peace. The spirit of God is a symbol of the spirit of God is also symbolized by the dove. One more, John, the John, the first chapter. Go with me right there. Y'all getting something out of this today? John 1, look at this. John 1, verse 32 says this. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a what? Like a dove. And it abode upon him, him who? Jesus. Verse 33. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom... Thou shalt see the spirit descending and what remaining on him. The same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit was examining the Shunammite house as well. Would he find a place of rest? 
And so the Shunammite woman says, let's, let's make him a place there for him to rest. Let's make him a bed. Let's, and let's, uh, let's get him a table and a chair and, and, and a candle. Let's make him very comfortable there. In other words, she made a place for the Spirit of God to dwell in her home. I want you to understand this, and I'm going to close out for today because there's so much more. What's the Lord saying in all this to you? Make him a place in your home and in your life. Because it's out of that place that God will speak to you. Notice in the scriptures, well, that after Elisha was laying in the bed for a while, and I w- let's go back there just for a second. I want you to see this. The Bible says, let me see what verse was that in. Yeah, verse 11. Let's go back to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 11. Hang with me, hang with me just for a moment, okay? Hang with me. It says, and it, and it fell on the day that he came thither, and he, ret- and he turned into the chamber, and he did what? He lay there. The presence of God had a place of peace. And it was when he was at peace or at rest it was from that resting place that he calls out to the Shunammite woman. And he tells her from that place, you're going to have a son. He tells her, in fact, God has not forgotten about you. Now, here's what the Lord told me just last night to tell you. And boy, we wrestled, 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 wrestled. It's a miracle I'm telling you that I'm here right now at the moment. because I wrote these things down to give to you today. So the Spirit says again, make me a place of rest, and I'll speak from you there. Make me a place. A place, and in that place it can be a closet, it can be a chair, it can be a small section of the house, whatever it is, make him a place. Make him a place. And the first thought that came to me was I heard objections. Well, Lord, well, maybe I need to clean the atmosphere at first or I heard all these things. Maybe I need to stop doing this and maybe we need to stop doing that. I heard all these objections come up. The Lord says, "Uh uh-uh. He said, make me a place and the aroma of my presence will fill the entire house. If you waited until you got your house cleaned up to invite him in, you'll never invite him in. He said, make him a place. That's a place where you and he meet together on a regular basis. Make him a place. You agree to meet with him there on a regular basis. Make him a place, and you don't worry about anything else in the house. Just you and him together alone. This is a place where you're going to have your table and your chair. You're going to have something to write with. You're going to listen for his voice, and he'll tell you to write some things down. Now, you're going to write on paper, and he's going to write on your soul. 
a writing, writings will go on. He's going to inscribe or he's going to write things on your spirit, man, on your soul in that place. But you have to make him a place. The presence of God went from visiting every once in a while. Now it's living. You're going to have to make that transition. And it is out of that resting place that the Father will unearth, dig up those desires that were long forgotten, planted in the graveyard of disappointments. He'll unearth it from there. Notice what she illustrated, what she demonstrated. She demonstrated a heart of gratitude. She didn't become sour. She continued to praise and worship and honor God, and she continued to give and give and give and give. And it got to the point that Elijah had to call her Elisha had to call her into the room. He said, what is to be done for her? You've given us all this care. You want us to speak to the king for you. You need anything? No, I'm good. And then she goes away. And there's a conversation. I want you to see this. Because the more you give out of your emptiness, the more heaven talks about you. Let's go back to this conversation. Let's go to verse 11 again. It says, in the film of the day that uh, he came, uh, verse 12, and he said to Gehazi, his servant, called the Shunammite, and, and when he... <clears throat> When he had called her, uh, she stood before him, and yes, verse 12, 13, and he said unto, unto him, yeah, say now unto her, behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care, and this, and rather, what is to be done for thee? That's the question. What is to be done for you? What is to be done? Highlight that, make a note of it, whatever you got to do. You can tattoo it on your arm if you want to. This is the question that goes on in the heavenlies. This, remember, this room is located in the upper part of the house. This is an upper room conversation. And this illustrates also the conversation that the Father has also about you. You need to hear this and understand this. Because there are conversations that go on in the heavenlies about God's people, when God's people give, when they release. It's the same conversation that went on about Cornelius in his house, in his Italian band. When, he's, when his almsgivings had come up before the Lord as a memorial, there was a conversation, conversation going on in heaven about Cornelius. And the question was, what are we going to do with him? The question is here, what are we going to do with her? 
Because she continues to give out of her lack. She gives out of her uh, despair. She gives, she continues to give and release and serve and love. She doesn't stop. Listen, we're trying to find a place to close here and says here, what is to be done for her? What is thou um, be spoken for uh, to the king? Or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among mine own people. That was the end of that conversation. And she went on down wherever she was. Here comes the conversation in the heavenlies, verse 14. And he said, what then shall be done for her? There's still that divine pressure. When you give out of your lack, when you go when you don't want to go, when you're nice, when you don't want to be nice. You're giving, you're giving out of your worship before the Lord. When you've given, I like that old song. Hold on, let me give me a sip of water again. You know that old song they used to sing? Uh, you can't be God's given, no matter how I try. Maybe we'll sing it better next week. <clears throat> but as she continued to give and release, release and invest and invest, there came a divine pressure. And this divine pressure calls a conversation. And this conversation unearthed a desire that she had. The conversation was, she doesn't have a child, and her husband is old. Which also says to me, indicates that she was a younger woman. Her husband is old. She has no child. What is to be done? She's going to have a child. Her giving released that divine pressure. Her willingness to worship God from right where she was, even though she didn't have what she wanted. Her willingness to continue to give and to worship and to honor God. Now, I'm going to stop with this. There, there's always a time, there's, and it's always correct, to give in a church. It's, it's always, because we want to see the, the work of God done throughout the world. This is what we are doing as a body. But never let that negate giving to individuals. Sowing into individual lives when you perceive that they are of God. She sowed into his life. And when she sowed into his life, she also blessed the Father. As she blessed him, she blessed God. There is a time, and there's always a time, to give into the house of the Lord. And that's always right. But then there is also a time, thank you, Holy Spirit, for reminding me of that. There's also a time when the Holy Spirit puts on your heart, and you are compelled to give and to release to individuals. The Lord reminded me, and he just reminded me a moment ago of an example, as we talked earlier today. There was a time whenever I saw elder children, 
I had to give them money. I had to give them money. I had to give them. Whatever I had in my pocket, I had to give them money. I had to give it to them. I had to give it to them. That was one thing the Lord was doing with me in my life in that season at that time. There are other individuals. He, uh, he calls me to pour out to them, pour out to them. Whether they are driving a fancy car or not is, is irrelevant. But it's when you're giving unto God's people, when you discern that they are a holy person, a holy man or a holy woman of God, when you sow into them, when you bless them, you are in turn blessing God. When you honor the vessel, you honor the God of the vessel. There's always a time, hear me, child of God. There's always a time, and it's always right to give into the house of God. But then there's also a time when you sow into God's people individually. When you perceive that they are a holy man or woman of God. Now, there's so much more I can share with you today about this. But I pray that you will make a space for the Holy Spirit in your home. It's a time that you meet with him on a continual basis. It's a time when you have your writing pad, your, your pen, and you're ready. You're making him a space. You will write and he will write. And it is out of that space of rest, out of that place of rest, that he will unearth some old desires that you put away so many, so many years ago. Some things that you thought that you would never have or that never, that you would never be. But all that comes out of that place of rest. We'll continue next week, the Lord willing. Father, we thank you today for giving us your word. Lord, I pray that um, every word that was spoken today would bring life and minister and minister health and strength to your people. Wherever they are, Father, in this room, all around the world, we pray, Lord, that you will be glorified and magnified through their lives. Lord, we pray and we repent as a group. We, we repent for not allowing you a place in our homes, of not meeting with you continually and consistently in that place. Lord, we ask in Jesus' mighty name that you would wash those sins away from us that you would make us whole and pure in your sight, that you give us grace and the strength that we need to come together with you in that place that we may hear from you, that we may commune with you, and that you may find that place of rest in us and in our homes. We value you, Lord. We value you. We thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers today. In Jesus' name, amen. My friends, God bless you, and look forward to being back with you next time. Amen. Well, we pray that you were blessed and encouraged by today's message. Don't forget, you can connect with us at our website at kingdomrock.org. It's there that you can hear today's message as well as the entire series. So check it out today. Until next time, remember that Jesus loves you, and so do we. Choose him as your Lord today. Only he can make a way. We'll see you on the next time.